0: Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Lara Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 28, A Sacred Music Story. Welcome back to another awareness offering. Really happy to be here with you again If you'd like to support the Awareness Offerings podcast, as always, the best ways you can do so are by rating and or leaving a review on whatever platform you're using to listen. That helps other people find the show. And if you feel called to share about the show on social media or by word of mouth, I am incredibly grateful for that as well. We'll get started with our opening ritual of singing the sound of om one time. Om means consciousness. It is said to be the vibration of consciousness, the sound of the universe of pure conscious awareness. So we're calling on that, asking for more of that by singing om, and you can do that by singing it out loud or simply by listening. If you're coming along, you might get your body into a comfortable position. You might close your eyes or soften your gaze by looking down the tip of your nose or gazing at the floor. If it is both safe at this moment and comfortable for you to do so, then I'll invite you to take a breath in through your nose if nostril breathing is available to you. Full breath out through your nose, clearing some space for that consciousness with your breath. And then we'll inhale for one sound of OM together.
1: <sighs> om.
0: Thank you for joining me in that practice. And now for this week's discussion. I'm going to talk a little bit about my relationship to sacred music this week. And that's for a couple reasons. One is that I though I've had a long relationship with sacred music and it's been a big part of my life for a long time and a big part of my spiritual practice ever since I've been doing spiritual practice, I recently had a moment in my own home practice, my personal practice, where I just remembered in a deeper way what it really means to me. I reconnected with it in a really meaningful way and I feel called to share that. And also because, you know... (laughs) Things are still hard. (laughs) Imagine that we're still moving through so much. We're moving through collective trauma. Um, If we're if you're like me, living in the United States, we're living through collective trauma um, within systems that are not really working for us. Things were made hard, and there is a sweetness to sacred music, and that's one of the points of sacred music, which I'll talk about in a bit. And so I'm just offering this as uh, a little bit of sweetness for your podcast timeline this week. Um, And that is not to say that we're using the sweetness to hide away from everything that's happening in the world, but maybe using it to take refuge for the next you know half hour or so, so that maybe you feel a little more resourced and held and capable as you then go back (laughs) into the world that we're living in. So the sweetness of sacred music is, is where we're going today. And like I said, I've had a long relationship with sacred music. I grew up in the Christian church. Um, I grew up singing um, both traditional hymns and more contemporary praise music for most of my young life. And at the same time, I grew up singing in a lot of different ways, not only in the church, but I was also in choral programs for my entire grade school education from elementary through high school. I took uh, voice lessons for most of that time. and. Even even for a couple years after my formal grade school education. Um, so I was singing constantly, really, in one way or the other. Um, I was often doing performances, whether they were choral group performances or solo performances in the recitals that I would be a part of for in, in, through the, the studio at which I took my voice lessons for many, many years. So I've been singing for a really long time. I've been performing for a really long time. And sacred music has always been pretty tied into that. And the first place I discovered it was in the Methodist Christian Church, which is my, that's my roots. Uh, That's the roots of my spirituality. Although um, my relationship to spirituality has shifted pretty significantly, I still hold that uh, close to my heart as my roots. And so that's where I started singing sacred music. And... It was probably, I would say, middle school when I was, you know, a preteen and very early teenager. It was the first moment I really remember feeling something significant when I sang sacred music, music that was uh, meant to be sung to God. Um, I remember feeling just a welling up in my heart of some kind of transcendent emotion and You know, I was in a youth group and the thing to do um, or the thing that most people did was, you know, during music, during praise, um, you know, you'd raise at least one hand up in the air, almost like a gesture of connection to something above you, right? Something bigger than you. In this case, it was the Judeo-Christian God. Um, And so I remember the first time in, in that younger period of my life where I I didn't feel like I was raising a hand up just because that's what everyone else was doing. It was a natural expression of whatever depth I was feeling in my heart because I was feeling so much depth in that moment. And so singing to God was real to me in that moment. It was really real to me. And I continued to do it both um, in the time I spent in church and there were times in my high school choral program where we would sing uh, sacred Christian music um, as a group uh, because so much sacred music is arranged so beautifully for choral performances that we would do that. Uh, So it remained a part of my life. And then I got out of high school and moved toward my college education and into my college education and my relationship to the sacred shifted a lot. Um, I began to understand ways that I felt either misunderstood or outright betrayed or by the the Christianity I'd been taught about and just ways it just wasn't fitting for me or making sense. And I began to ask a lot of questions to myself, as I'm sure a lot of young people and people of all ages do, especially about a topic as deep and universal and human as spirituality. So I started to ask those questions and I i turned away for a while because like i said there were ways that i absolutely felt unseen and betrayed by the christian faith in a lot of ways um and i was angry and i i I saw not just in in my own personal experience with the christian faith um ooh, there's a lot happening you might be hearing a lot of sounds right now Ooh, hello let's not <laughs> okay let me just make sure that that doesn't happen anymore I apologize if you're hearing the noises that are coming up on my computer I just made it so that that wouldn't happen again um but here we are in the flow so anyway um I not only was I feeling the awareness and, and some sense of anger around my personal experience with Christianity. I was seeing as a young adult, the ways that Christianity was being weaponized in the world to make marginalized groups of people feel less than to serve shame, to serve bigotry. And I was pissed. I was mad. I was angry and I turned away from it. I turned away and I, I identified as an atheist or an agnostic uh, for many, for, for at least four or five years. Um, and so that was happening at the same time that I was also doing somewhat of a turning away from a performance and from singing. Uh, because, like I explained, I spent so much time in my life, my young life as a child growing up, uh, singing and performing from really age like five to like age 19 or 20, um, I would say 19 probably, so so a good 14 years performing, and I think I got a little burnt out on it in some ways, it was, it was a lot, it, it fueled me and fed me and was a love of mine in a way that was very real, but it was also a lot, and I'm someone who can experience some social anxiety, um, and though I have a lot of energy to give in certain situations, I also can be somewhat introverted in some ways, and really need to draw inward toward myself um, so it took a lot out of me to perform that long and I needed it I needed to turn away from that and so I stopped performing and that pretty much coincided with um, my turning away from a relationship to the sacred. Um, and I, that is, I don't say that because I don't think you can have a relationship to the sacred if you identify as an atheist or agnostic. Um, I think kindness is sacred. I think that love is sacred. I think nature is sacred. So we don't have to identify with any faith at all to have a relationship with the sacred. But for myself, during that period in my early 20s, I really was turning away from any relationship to the sacred. So this went on. I wasn't performing. I wasn't actively having a relationship with the sacred. And then I found yoga through my um, roommate, my college roommate at the time, who introduced me to our cl- to classes at our university rec center. Um, I spent about a year practicing through my rec center and then became a teacher at my rec center. Um, and then about a year after that, I decided to get a quote-unquote official certification and look for uh, credentialed yoga teacher training programs. And that's how I found Kashi Atlanta, which is an urban yoga ashram here in Atlanta. It's where I studied yoga and got my 200-hour certification. It's where I continue to study. It's a place where I teach. Um, And through Kashi, I reconnected to the sacred. I met my spiritual teacher, Swami Jayadevi, who is a deeply spiritual woman who deeply reveres so many different forms of the sacred, and I felt that coming from her almost immediately when I met her, and I didn't really know that's what it was, but that's what it was. And in spending more time learning from her and having a deep interfaith relationship with the sacred model to me, a relationship that didn't rely on one faith and that didn't shame or judge or weaponize faith, having that model to me through my spiritual teacher opened my heart to having a relationship with the sacred again. And so I started to receive and discover this expansive view of the sacred that is not limited to one path, but is embodied by a limitless number of paths to the sacred, whatever we want to call it, whether it's God, Christ, love, kindness. Um, I was taught through my interfaith spiritual teacher and my interfaith spiritual community that there are so many paths to the sacred. And in discovering that, I was able to open my heart again to having a relationship to the sacred that didn't feel rooted in shame or judgment or limited um, by any kind of, you know, constraints, um, or um, yeah, just limited by any kind of constraints. Because I, I like to think that perhaps part of the reason I turned away from the traditional Christian faith I was brought up in is just because I could sense in some way that There were a lot of limitations being placed on God and how do you actually put limitations on God, on the formless, vast, expansive essence of the sacred? And so through my spiritual teacher, through Swami Jayadevi, through my community at Kashi Atlanta and through the practice of yoga, because it was through yoga and remains through my yoga practice that I discovered and stay connected to the spiritual community, I had my heart open to having a relationship with the sacred again. And it was around this time when I discovered Kashi Atlanta that I discovered a new form of sacred music. In the Hindu spiritual tradition, which is not the same thing as yoga, but um, came up at the same time and place as yoga in India and influences classical yoga very deeply, um, the practice of singing sacred music is pretty ingrained, especially... At the beginning of any kind of ceremony or ritual or gathering, to sing sacred music opens the space. And kind of the idea is to sing to the sacred, to call on the sacred and ask it to be in the space for whatever is taking place. And at Kashi Atlanta, it's it's a community based in classical yoga. And so there's a lot of singing of sacred music that happens there. At the beginning of every Wednesday night spiritual growth and meditation class that my teacher my spiritual teacher shares where you know she comes in the room she shares about yoga philosophy and teaches meditation every Wednesday night we start that class by singing sacred music to set the space to kind of hold the energetic container and to call on the sacred for the gathering that we're doing. We also sing sacred music at the beginning of any kind of ceremony, ritual, fire ceremony, all kinds of things. Um, And so I was introduced to yogic, sacred music, sacred music that is deeply related to classical yoga, when I found Kashi Atlanta and found my spiritual community. And I fell in love. I began to take part in the group of people who sings sacred music, uh, during events and gatherings at Kashi Atlanta. I learned to play the traditional drums, um, in the traditional beat, the drum beat that we use in our, our yoga lineage, our yoga tradition in our community. Um, and I sang and I drummed and I'm still doing it to this day. And it lit my heart on fire because I, i got to i got it back i got back something that was such a sweet and real part of my life for so long both my relationship to the sacred and my relationship to sacred music that i had to turn away from for various reasons i got to get it back in a way that was so aligned for me um and i want to take this moment to acknowledge that culturally singing sacred music in the yoga tr- yoga tradition is not my it's not mine culturally it is very traditionally hindu very traditionally south asian and i don't speak about it to claim it as my own i want to come at this from humility and reverence it is a practice that has lit my heart up uh, but it is not mine even still It has changed my life. It has given me back so much of my relationship to the sacred and sacred music. And the idea behind the yogic version of sacred music is singing Sanskrit mantras. As we've talked about before on this podcast, Sanskrit is a vibrational language. Each syllable is said to have a specific vibration or energy, and that's almost more meaningful than the direct translation of the words. So you sing these different mantras to call on different energies, different vibrations, different forms of the sacred. And the point of it is to open your heart. It's actually a type of yoga. In classical yoga, there are a bunch of different kinds of yoga. There's not just one, right? We think about physical yoga in the West as yoga because we've kind of distilled it down uh, to... help us be more comfortable with it uh, and help it, help it fit into our standards of um, like what a workout is and what practice is. Um, But there's actually yoga. So multifaceted movement is one type of yoga. Meditation is another type of yoga and sacred music is another type of yoga and sacred music falls within a yoga tradition called bhakti yoga. And bhakti is a Sanskrit word that essentially means love and devotion So singing sacred music, singing Sanskrit mantras that are meant to call on different energies, call on different forms of the divine is an act of deep love and devotion. They're love songs to God. And devo- it's devotion to, to whatever form of the sacred we love. And so the effect is that the actual vibrations shake loose anything that's tied around our heart and the effect is to open the hearts. And that has been my experience since I started singing sacred music in the yoga tradition and even now to this day. But I mentioned earlier, my spiritual community is interfaith and I believe all true sacred you know, relationships open space to be interfaith. Um, and even though we're singing to um, Hindu forms of the sacred, because they had such a deep influence on the traditional path of yoga. It doesn't mean that that is the be-all and end-all. I've always been taught when we're singing these sacred mantras, uh, especially to a specific deity or a form of the sacred, and one of the names of God, right? Um, I've been taught that we get to put our own intentions into the mantra. We get to bring to mind and to heart whatever form of the sacred we love, whether it is Jesus Christ, Mother Mary, God, goddess, the night sky, our partner, whatever opens us up to love is sacred. And so if we put that intention into the mantra, even if the specific deity or Sanskrit phrase or, or, or form of the sacred we're singing about isn't ours, quote unquote, isn't the one that we resonate with, the ma- if we're thinking of what we love as we do it, the mantra will still do the work to open our hearts and be a love song uh, to that which we love. And I think that's just so beautiful. Um, it's the fact that one way to do yoga is to sing love songs to the sacred is gorgeous to me. And like I said, it's given me back so much of, of things I felt I had lost at, or, or couldn't engage with at a point in my life. And like I said, one of the reasons I share about this today is because I had a moment of reconnection. The other night when I sat in my bedroom at my altar space, I have an altar table with different uh, statues of the divine and, and sacred objects on my table, and I lit my candle and I lit my incense and I sat to do some spiritual practice, some meditation and practice. And I've been kind of going through this phase where I'd be a little bit hard on myself and feel like, okay, I need to sit down, I need to do my breath, I need to go inward, I need to connect myself, I need to meditate, and it should just be that straightforward. Now, I've been doing this for eight years, and it should be that straightforward. But then I remembered that that's not the only path to sacred connection. It's not the only path to the present moment, which to me the present moment and sacred connection are one and the same. I remembered that there are different tools I can pick up to find my way into the moment if just sitting down and trying to go straight into meditation isn't working. And so I remembered the tool of sacred music that has been so meaningful to me and given me so much. And I picked it up. I have a little drum. Uh, I'm... It's here. I have it because spoiler alert, I'm going to sing as our pra- I'm going to offer sacred music as, as our practice today um, and this week. So I, I pulled out my drum and I started drumming on it and singing sacred music. And I, I ended up probably spending at least 20 minutes, if not half an hour, singing a few different mantras, these Sanskrit phrases meant to call to the sacred and it was a moment of remembrance of how much this practice means to me. And the fact that this is a practice, this is a way to do a practice, is to sing love songs to God. And I remember hearing Krishnadas, who is a pretty well-known American um what would you call him? He's a singer, but he sings Sanskrit mantras. He sing, he's a bhakti practitioner, a uh, of, of, practitioner of bhakti yoga who sings sacred music. Um, and he talked about discovering this practice also and that this could be the practice. Just singing to God, singing to the sacred could be his practice. And that opened up so much for him. And whenever he sings, even if it's in front of people, because he's, you know, he travels and he's pretty well known, even if it's a quote unquote a performance, he says that to him, it's just his practice. And I remembered that as I was doing my practice that sacred music could be my practice and it did open my heart and then give me the resources to then go into the meditation that I was looking for in the first place. So recently I've had a really sweet remembrance of what this practice means to me and like I said it feels like a time we could use some sweetness so I wanted to share it with you. And so now I'm going to share it with you um, in our in our awareness offerings format. (laughs) So this is the point in our podcast that we actually go into embodied practice. I usually guide a guided meditation and or breath practice here. Um, So this will be the moment that I remind you that if you're not in a place where you can sit um, in some stillness for a few minutes, you might wanna pause and come back. And we are going to sit in stillness, but this time I'm going to be singing some Sanskrit mantras to you. And I'll invite you to sing along if you'd like. I'll sing them over and over. That's one of the features of bhakti yoga, of singing these mantras, is you repeat the same one several times for, for a pretty long time because the idea is that the energy of it builds and gets more potent and opens the heart more. So I'll repeat it a bunch so you can listen a few times and get the words down. And then you can sing along with me if you'd like or just listen. So the mantra that I'm going to sing, and again, the purpose of this is to go inward to an open heart, just like any other meditation. The mantra I'm going to sing is Bajarangi Hanuman. Bajarangi Hanuman. Bajarangi Hanuman, Mahavir, Sri Rama, Rama, Ram, Bajarangi hanuman, And again, I will repeat that in song many times so you can take as much time as you need to get it if you're planning to sing out loud or you can just sit and listen and let the vibration work on you that way because it will. And like I spoke about earlier, what we're doing is singing to different forms of the sacred, different types of sacred energy, different names and representations of sacred energy. And here we're singing to Hanuman who in the yoga and hindu traditions represents the sacred energy of devotion, of love, gratitude, and open-heartedness. He is often depicted as a monkey, a monkey man, and there are many depictions of him where he has his hands on either side of his chest and he's pulling his heart wide open. And in the center of his chest, you see the form of God that he loves. And so he's a symbol of open-hearted devotion. He's a symbol of bhakti. He is the bhakti yoga archetype. And so it's kind of extra powerful to both do bhakti yoga, do this act of devotion, and be singing to a form of energy that is about open-hearted devotion. There's like a double open-hearted effect there. So as you can tell, I'm like giddy about it, giddy about sharing it with you. So I'm gonna just go for it. I'm going to sing this mantra several times. I'll invite you to listen. I'll invite you to sing if you'd like. I'll invite you to notice your heart if, if it feels good. And then we'll spend a few moments in silence at the end uh, to just notice the effects, to allow that kind of vibration of sound that has opened our hearts to, uh, to take effect. Um, and one of the The benefits of sound is it helps us to listen. So we'll spend a few moments just listening inward to close this practice. So I'll invite you to get your body into a comfortable seat if you're coming along. Any seat works. You can sit on a chair, the couch, the floor, a cushion with your back against the wall, with your legs crossed or not. Just get your spine long. Your spine is the central line of energy in your body. So it just helps things flow when you do that. And you might pull your shoulders slightly back and down so that there's a lift in the center of your chest. And however you're sitting, you're sitting in the posture of an open heart, which is really all you need to practice yoga, but especially bhakti yoga, the yoga of love and devotion. You might close your eyes or soften your gaze by looking down the tip of your nose or at the floor. My cat has decided just now to play with one of his toys that makes noise, so he's joining us in making some joyful sounds here. You might start to turn your attention towards your breath, to the present moment experience of breathing in and out right now as a way of starting to arrive in your moment. You could also choose to focus on something else, like a sound you can hear or a physical sensation you can feel as a way of just tuning yourself in to the moment that you're living in. From here, I'm going to begin to sing this mantra. You can listen a few times, and if you'd like to join, you are lovingly invited. Disclaimer, we'll see how this drumming goes.
1: (laughs) Sarah. Bajarangi Anuman Bajarangi Anuman
0: As the sound dissolves into silence, maybe it takes you with it. You are able to connect to the the silence of the present moment, the sweet quiet beyond the noise of the mind and the chaos of the world. You might connect to your breath, or just let the breath breathe itself. You might bring your awareness to the center of your chest. Your spiritual heart that which is touched by the vibration of bhakti of sacred sound that which is the essence of Hanuman who we sang to, the essence of devotion you might breathe in and out of your heart or just sit in awareness of your heart and notice how you feel And as you begin to blink your eyes open and return to the world around you, whenever that happens, know that bhakti, singing to God, which is not the only way to practice bhakti, but it's one way. It's about essence. It's about the essence of the sacred and opening more space for that to live in the heart. And know that essence doesn't go away even after the practice ends and you carry that essence with you. And I believe carrying the essence of open hearted devotion into this world matters. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L A U R A t-a-r-a on instagram facebook and youtube my intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother oxella sun o-x-e-l-a-s-u-n whom you can also find on instagram